Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, and with me all the way across the pond, uh, also known as the Atlantic Ocean, is the ghost in and ghost hunting, Mr. Parascience, Steve Parson. Hey, good evening. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, do you know what? I was looking at the figures. Our audience is unequivocally far bigger than any other audience. Fact. Any audience than what? And any audience ever on any radio station. Fact. Yeah. I won't be taking any questions on this. You've been in the gen again, haven't you? I can tell. No, I was watching the White House press secretary. That seems to be the way you deal with things now. Oh, no, this is true. You can look at things and you can see it. Just got to have your proof, though. That's all. They had come up with the pictures. Anyways. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and you listen to uh, it Ghost Chronicles International right here on uh, Tojinet, Parex, and Planet Paranormal, Astronet, uh, wherever the hell else we are. But anyway, yeah. uh, that anyway. speaking is, um, I actually have a bone to pick with you. Oh, go on then. That'll be fun. Because you have been, well, I don't know. This has been kind of like, Oh, just get on with it. Annoying me. I'll get to it when I get on it. So what who's talking to the British who like him and horror and it takes 20 minutes to say a two-minute item. I'm trying to kill some time here, so I'm stretching it it out. (laughs) I'll stretch it out in the answer. Pick the bone. (laughs) So anyways, um, since I've known you, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong, because I I may be wrong. (laughs) I'm very seldom are. So, if if ever. But anyways. um, Jesus, how much longer? Oh, uh, 50. Is there a question at the end? 53 more minutes. 53 more minutes. No, 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 no. We've got Teller of Curious Tales. Oh, yes, that's right. We do have the Teller of Curious Tales. But anyway, so. EMF and paranormal investigation. Yeah. And there's a lot of different theories about it. And a lot of stuff that uh, people believe in. Mm-hmm. So you have always, and get, correct me if I'm wrong, but have you always kind of poo-pooed the relationship between EMF and paranormal activity? No, I haven't always poo-pooed it. In fact, in the early days, um, we, we, along with every other paranormal group, were uh, strong advocates for measuring the electromagnetic frequencies. Um, what changed all that? Well, nothing's changed it. What, what we've done, uh, what we were doing right at the very beginning, uh, and this comes from my engineering background, was, uh-huh. me- was measuring it uh, in a different way than many paranormal groups. Um, because we realized that there were two parts of an electromagnetic frequency, uh, of an electromagnetic field. And I'm not talking about the electric field and the magnetic field. I'm talking in terms of amplitude uh, and frequency. Now, the amplitude is simply how much of it there is, and the frequency, rather like the tuning on radio dial, the electromagnetic frequency has a much broader tuning 
Um, it goes from um, the very low frequency uh, end right the way up through the microwaves and up into light and beyond, um, way, way, way beyond into uh, radiation. Uh, mm. They're all forms of electromagnetic uh, radiation. What we needed, what we needed, though, was not just the amplitude, but was we, we realized very early on that you needed the frequency information uh, and that the, the, the meters that were being sold and being used in paranormal investigations were supplying the amplitude. They would tell us how much of an electromagnetic field there was there, okay. but they wouldn't tell us anything any information whatsoever about the frequency of the electromagnetic field we were encountering. Now, it was commonly presumed that you would be dealing with the electromagnetic fields within the building, which would be at the supply frequency, which in the US is 60 hertz and in the UK it's 50 hertz. Now, that's within a range that would... Um, it's within a similar range of frequencies that the brain itself uses, typically below 100 hertz. So there was some ever, some interest there, some link, uh, possible links between the two. But we used meters, uh, and we spent a great deal, well over a thousand pounds on on the meter, one on one device, in order right. to gain the frequency information. And what we discovered. So is, is this like a tri-field meter? Or a, oh, it was way, 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 way beyond. It was a three-axis meter. Uh, it was actually an okay. Aronia, a German-made meter uh, made by the company Aronia. Um, and this thing gave us not only the amplitude, but it gave us the frequency. Mm-hmm. And that, that we, we quickly realized that um, the building... The electromagnetic fields within the building were not coming, or the electromagnetic fields that were erroneous within the building were not coming from uh, the generally supposed sources of the building wiring. Um, They weren't at 50 hertz. They weren't at 60 hertz. They were often in the radio frequency band. And when we looked at the radio frequency band, because you can go onto any internet uh, search engine, Mm-hmm. And there is the entire radio spectrum is is so well regulated that you can pinpoint spot frequencies to mm-hmm. particular broadcasters anywhere in the world. And we realized that very much we were dealing with the – over here, we were dealing with the BBC's long-wave transmitters. And what was happening was the cable wiring and the metal structures of the buildings themselves at these low, frequ- low radio frequencies – so they were still in the kilohertz range – Mm-hmm. Um, and the megahertz range uh, were acting as secondary antenna and were re-radiating a spurious electromagnetic field, which the meter, which a basic meter would see as just simply a spike, an increase in amplitude. So even if you killed all of the power in the building and then you, so everything was turned off, or even if you went to sites where there was no electricity, you would still get these odd EMF spikes. Uh, that were coming actually from radio frequency sources. Now, the whole idea of uh, EMF as, in, as a, an area of interest for paranormal investigation mm-hmm. starts way back, uh, starts over in Canada uh, with a, a Canadian neurologist, Professor Michael Persinger, who speculated and then did some testing that the electromagnetic fields that exist within buildings and also the natural geomagnetic field of the Earth itself might be causing within people um, responses in the brain. Uh, mm-hmm. And he built a device called the God Helmet, which was, in effect, a modified 
um, it looks like a motorcycle helmet. It was, right. I think it was, I think it was um, a snow a snowmobile helmet he used, <clears throat> and he built into the. Of course, it's Canada. Yeah, he built into the helmet electromagnetic coils that allowed him to place electromagnetic fields very close to different parts of the brain, specifically uh, the temporal lobes, which are just behind the ears. And he subjected many, many uh, participants to these varying frequency, uh, electro- varying frequency and amplitude electromagnetic fields, and they reported uh, unusual experiences, a sense of presence, a sense that they were out of themselves, a sense of awe, fear, uh, all manner of uh, physiological phenomena, experiences that are very, very similar to those um, that are found in the reports of paranormal experiences. Mm -hmm. And he then went on to suggest that there was a link between the electromagnetic fields that are found within buildings and at some sites um, and paranormal experiences. Now, we, we at the time were doing some research, doing an investigation at a farmhouse in Cheshire, uh, up in the, the, the central part of the UK. And um, there we discovered, uh, using our meter, that the electromagnetic fields were, in fact, um, in terms of amplitude, they were within the supply frequency. So we were dealing with them with the supply, the electricity supply to the building, um, but that the amplitude was in the order of five to six hundred, peaking at over one thousand two hundred uh, milligauss, which was clearly way off the scale. Um, and there have been some studies around the world. Um, Bristol University here in the UK has the Department of Human Radiation Studies, which look at people who live near power cables or people who have an electromagnetic sensitivity uh, mm-hmm. that's affecting their health, as Cal again. And um, we, we contacted them because obviously our measurements were being done by an amateur ghost investigation group, and we, we mm-hmm. need some professional uh, or academic support for what we were doing. So they came along with their measuring equipment and they, they undertook some measurements over 24 hours whilst we did them in parallel, which was very which was an interesting aside because it turned out that the meter we were using was more accurate than the one that they had. Um, and they went off and bought the Aronia. Um, but nonetheless, as a result of that, um, the electricity supply company came and repaired a faulty supply cable uh, the shielding had, had uh, failed and under load, under heavy load at the farm when the milking parlours were, were in use. Um, it wasn't able to, the, the cable was allowing these electromagnetic fields to uh, substantially increase. Now, what was interesting is once we'd done that, certainly from a health perspective, the family felt better. Um, the mother and the son in particular reported that they felt less uh, leaden, less uh, uh, fatigued, and the number of paranormal experiences that they reported or attributed to the paranormal also substantially decreased. Now, that isn't always the case. Um, and there was a parallel case, and we wrote to Persinger about it because at that time in Canada, uh, at, in Sudbury, I believe, uh, district of Ontario, he was researching, a, investigating a house in which paranormal phenomena were uh, being reported and he was measuring um, 
there was uh, not just an, a stray electromagnetic field, again at a supply frequency due to a, uh, a component within the uh, how the, the building's uh, electrical supply, uh, the, the thing, that, the box that sits on the wall, I can't remember the name of it at the moment, um, the main fuse box that the power company connect to. But also uh, Canada being slightly more... Uh, geomagnetically active than the UK. There was an interaction between the Earth's magnetic field and this building, um, or this building's localised, disrupted electrical supply field, which he, again, speculated and then repaired and then demonstrated that it made the reports of paranormal experiences decrease. The problem the modern investigator faces is that devices that are designed to measure electromagnetic fields, such as the K2, or the 1394, or the cell sensor, or the tri-field, and many, many others, in this sort of $100 to $200 price range, um, they will give you, obviously, uh, they have three-axis sensors, some of them, the better models, so they're more accurate, but they still only give you amplitude measurement um, they only tell you how much. So it's rather like um, it, it, the analogy I've used before. It's it's rather it, there's a in medieval Britain people would tip their sewage out of the upstairs windows. Um, so the analogy with the modern EMF meter is uh, as you walk through the streets on a rainy day in medieval England, you didn't know whether you know somebody threw a bucket of over here, or it was simply raining, and you. I heard they yelled out when they did that. Well, you know, there's you know there's an electromagnetic field, but you have no information about it in terms of its frequency. Um, so, it's rather like knowing you are simply wet, but not knowing what the what the wetting agent is. Exactly. So, so I, you might I, as well it, not bother. You, you're no, in. No, I, I totally disagree with you. By the way, I just. I, oh, a lot of different studies and a lot of different things and went a big round away to prove absolutely nothing as okay. far as I'm concerned. <clears throat> uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned that, okay, there's, there's some studies about parano- uh, high EMF that causes uh, um, kind of abnormalities uh, in people. And uh, so, okay, I, I can understand that. That's fine. That's, that's one little piece. And then you went off before that, and you're talking about, okay, we can measure uh, amplitude, but we can't measure frequency, and therefore the frequency of the United States is this, and, and Britain is this, but that gave me no information whatsoever either. So I, I don't, the question really was, is there a correlation between uh, true paranormal activity, in other words, paranormal activity that can't be explained. If you say that high EMF causes paranormal activity or abnormalities, then, uh, then okay, there is correlation. So that's that's been explained. I'm more interested in the, the ones that cannot exp- explain, ones that okay. does not have high EMF all the time. Uh, you do have the random uh, uh, thing. Uh, and, and furthermore, if if there is spikes in EMF, mm-hmm. as well as per- per- perhaps, say, uh, a drop in temperature, uh, or even, um, I don't know, whatever else uh, that we could throw out there, but, you know, if there is a correlation between a, a couple of, of shifts in the, the atmosphere, uh, of, of the, excuse me, in the environment, then mm-hmm. 
you know, is that, you know, is that, can that be even dismissed or, or is that worth studying? That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, well, well let me. I, I, let I me, agree let, with you. Everything you told me was absolutely. Well, let me true. clarify. Well, let me okay. clarify by saying okay. that there is absolutely zero uh, correlation anywhere in any literature or research that's been properly conducted other than anecdotal reports from investigators. Uh huh. Um, that that suggests a link between electromagnetic fields or measuring electromagnetic fields and genuine or, or uh, unexplained phenomena occurring. There is there is none. Um, there is there is not one single shred of of evidence other than anecdotal evidence, and there is a great deal of anecdotal evidence where people said. Uh, something happened and the EMF meter buzzed or lit up or did something. That's mm -hmm. anecdotal evidence, and that's not... Right, that's... pretty much like, you know, I was sitting there and I saw a ghost. That's yeah. anecdotal evidence as well, but that's what we're actually investigating, Well, not, not anything uh, uh, else. Well, no, 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 no. Because uh, you, you often enter into a situation where the electromagnetic fields or, and the meter is doing something... And it continues to do it for a lot. You can see this in many, many videos of investigations where the meter is, respond, is is doing its thing, but the investigator is changing their response to the meter. So they're ignoring times when it flashes, um, when it's inconvenient for them, and only, and making a great deal of, of, um, of times when the meter seems to be uh, coinciding with the with you know when they hope it will do something. Yeah. What you're First seeing all, is actually okay. now into, you you raise something much more interesting because uh, in terms of temperature now one of the the, the, the only uh, area that I can think of um, where there is documented well measured uh, mm -hmm. information from a device that is supported so it does something that it really oughtn't to do it, it, it the, the the physical world seems to do something unusual that is coincidental with the subjective uh, account of a witness saying independently um that they that they saw heard or felt something is temperature mm -hmm. now temperature uh, way back in the, uh, in the days of William Crook, when he was uh, doing the work uh, with Florence Cook, the the, the psychic, mm -hmm. and in other with, with other mediums, was uh, Cook was uh, Crook was a very well respected scientist in his day, a leading scientist, a world leading scientist, mm -hmm. and he did have access to uh, calibrated high quality thermometers. Later on, Harry Price, um, in other in, in other science experiments, and at Borley, uh, also used thermometers, and they've been used in, in, on other occasions too, both in seances and in haunted ha locations. And there have been a number of well-documented, well-demonstrated uh, occasions where, on a piece of properly calibrated scientific equipment, uh, a recording thermometer. The temperature has done something that is really anomalous. It has fallen or risen in a way that it really um, it oughtn't to do, given the circumstances of of uh, the location, the structure, the the conditions prevailing at the time, the ambient temperature, a whole raft of other um, variables, and 
and somebody independently and not knowing what the temperature was doing reported a experience either a paranormal like you know a paranormal experience of they saw heard or felt something or that they themselves felt the temperature change so i've always said that ghost hunters throw away your emf meters and get back to measuring the bloody temperature mm-hmm. but you you mentioned it again and it seems to be a theme with you is that you need the most expensive <coughs> possible piece of equipment that you need to measure mundane uh, measurements, which is basically temperature. Temperature has been measured throughout the years, and they, you really didn't need a $2,000 uh, thermal no, whatever no. To, to measure it. A, a simple thermometer in itself, if you have a drop in temperature, that is uh, suffice, I would say, to say there was a drop in temperature. You don't uh, necessarily well, well, First of all, let me clarify. I, I've okay. never said... Well, you always you, bring up, like, all the, these uh, uh, $20 I, things yeah. they would bring in. Because, uh, they're, because, because they're, uh, I'm talking about EMF meters. I know. Because they are not giving... But you the went on to temperature thermometers I, well. I didn't mention. To, I, I, didn't measure pri- I didn't mention price when I was talking about thermometers. Okay. Um, in terms of the EMF meters that ghost hunters are using... I, I gave a price range of one to two hundred dollars. They're actually These, cheaper than that. You can well, yeah, like thirty yeah. bucks for. Yeah. Um, but they are not giving the investigator sufficient information. Is what I said. They're only telling them half the story. They're saying how much EMF is there, not they the. I'm measuring something though. They're me- well, of course they're measuring something, but they're only they're only telling the investigator they're. Uh, half half of the information that they really need. Now, a thermometer, you're absolutely right. Um, in order to measure the temperature, most simple thermometers these days are accurate enough for making good measurements. And I'm talking five bucks. You know, a five a, a five dollar uh, digital thermometer is within a percentage of one or two degrees accurate, and that's more than sufficient uh, f- to make measurements. However, um, and we, we use, you know, five, ten pound thermometers. Um, but if you want to then present uh, your results in a way that uh, becomes more meaningful, not meaningful, but more meaningful, mm-hmm. you then need to show that the device was operating properly and was fully calibrated. Now, calibration, that, that adds a layer of, uh, of cost. So a calibrated thermometer, you're you're probably talking in the region of you know you can pick one up for you can pick up a thermometer for ten bucks. A calibrated thermometer is going to cost you ten times that, so a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has to be annually, like a car has to be annually reset. Yeah, tuned up basically. Tuned up. Your thermometer has to be annually tuned up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also have to measure things in the correct way. Uh, there are a set of international standards governed by the ISO, the International Standards Organization, which every world government, every doesn't matter whether there's China or Russia or Cuba or America or Europe, really doesn't matter. Every country in the world conforms to the ISO standards, um, rather like for weights and measures. But there are also standards for measuring pretty much everything um the americans have versions the ans so certified is important for a lot of uh, companies especially manufacturing that's exactly so but 
these standards don't just prescribe the equipment, so your your calibrated thermometer must meet those standards, but like also the but all, yeah, procedure. Yeah, the procedure. And yeah. in order to, it, it, I, I'm currently in a box in a room. It's probably 15 by 12 by eight high feet. Um, now. Ordinarily, you would, you know, you, you, on a ghost investigation, you go into the room, you get your thermometer out, you go, yeah, it's eight degrees in there. And it probably is eight degrees in there, more or less. Okay. However, if you are measuring the temperature in a scientifically meaningful manner, you would have to do, uh, you'd have to divide that room into ever smaller boxes. So, you know, a grid across 100 by 100. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and then average all that out. Um so it becomes more and more complicated, but that doesn't mean that your basic $5 thermometer is a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. It means that you can, if you want your results to become ever more meaningful and more challenging to... If you're looking for proof, I guess you would be the... Oh, if, you, if you're trying to, if you want to close the door on the skeptics and shut the loopholes that they will try and wriggle through then the best, uh, you provide them with the best information. And when they say, ah, that was only a $5, no, it wasn't. It was a $500. Well, you didn't measure it. Yes, we did. We conformed to ISO 9001 spec. And then they, you're basically pulling the rug out from underneath the skeptics by using this level of equipment and these methods. And and that's that's part of the problem. If someone, for instance, and this is a pet peeve of both you and myself, if someone uses a thermal imager or a flare, then... Uh, you know, they say, well, I spent $1,000 on this thing, so, you know, what I have is good results. But if, did they take the costs that went with it? Do has it $1,000 on the machine and diddly squat on learning how to use it. Exactly. And, and that becomes a problem. So just because you use a, an expensive piece of equipment doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting uh, the, the best evidence you can get or, or a evidence that cannot be... Uh, critically challenged. Exactly. I mean, you, you can give a world-class professional photographer a five-dollar camera, and they will take a superb picture. You give a um, you know an idiot, a brand new photographer, and they said idiot photographer, then a two-thousand-dollar camera, and the picture is going to be fairly average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyways, we're coming up the break, but I, I want to talk a little bit more about this subject because it's intriguing. On so many different levels, uh, but I know we're coming up close to the break, and uh, I don't know. I yeah, may say 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really don't want to jump into it right now. Anyway, so you're listening to uh, Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Steve Parsons, the founder of Parascience, and you can check out his website at, uh, what, what is this, Steve? Uh, theghosthunter.webs.com. And Parascience's website? And parascience.org.uk. Okay, .uk. And also, uh, you know, you, this is Ron Cole from the New England Ghost Project and Ghost Chronicle Hill. And you can check out my site at neghostproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com, or my personal site at ronaldcolick.com. So there you go. Here's the tunes, and we'll take a break. We'll be right back after the following messages.
Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. And as the Van Helsing Choral Society fade into the background, welcome back to part two of Ghost Chronicles International. The only show on the radio, the only paranormal show on the radio where there's no fake news. There is it? Oh. I can make some up. Now I'll leave that to CNN. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Speak, well, we'll get to that in a minute because we are so the only show in the air with the teller of mysterious tales as well. We are. And I, I did get an email about that, so I'm going to mention that before we, we – and we're going to have that a little bit later. But I want to finish this subject off before we get involved with that. And, you know, we talk about equipment and stuff and, and measuring things and everything. But, I mean, you you look to like a, a hunting guide or a, uh, a, a hunter in itself or a tracker, and, and they go out there and they have no equipment at all, but they just use their eyes, their ears – and sense, I guess, and they can go on and they find you what they're looking for. How do they do that without any equipment? And 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 do we dismiss that because they don't have fancy equipment? Do you know what what's really interesting is I um, talking to my grandparents many years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and and looking back through old psychical research books, you realise that, or I'm real, I realise that. Um, we are, are we have five senses, uh, but we don't use them. We don't use them effectively. One in particular, or a group of senses in particular. You think back a uh, hundred years to so our grand our grandparents' generation before the Second World War. 
they would get up when the sun came up and they would go to bed. They would they they had sort of electricity. They had gas lighting, but they generally they didn't have the internet they didn't sit up half the night playing video games they didn't go out into cities that were lit by neon and bright spotlights and you know they didn't live in a 24-hour society over here in the uk the television finished at nine ten o'clock at night and that was it you went to bed i remember that they had call off do you remember that at all in in the united states would actually have a test pattern that would go on yeah yeah we we had that here in the uk but now we live in a society where we're just not used to quietness we're just not used to it uh, subdued you know just being in quiet, still places, except, you know, obviously when you're outdoors in the middle of the mountains. But even then... You can hear planes above sometimes. <laughs> well, we we did some uh, some really basic experiments. And I've, I've used this on my ghost investigations uh, also, where uh, you go to a place and you, you allow people to investigate. Um, and you... I, you leave the lighting alone. I'm not an advocate of turning the lights off. Mm-hmm. But just out of interest, what we have done, uh, we've done experiments, uh, investigations, 450 meters, um, nearly 1,000 feet underground in complete absence of, of light. Oh, cool. But one of the most interesting that we ever did took place in, at uh, Rosslyn, uh, Rosslyn Chapel, famous in the Da Vinci oh, yes. Code. Yeah. Uh, we, 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 we hired Rosslyn Castle, which is adjacent to it, and gave us access to the chapel for two weeks, and we did it twice. Um, and during that, we you did... all a, the money for this, by the way. Uh, this was a number of years ago, before yeah, it was in the movies. <laughs> before it was in the movies. But Parasites rented the building, uh, Rosslyn Chapel, the adjacent College Hill House, and Rosslyn Castle. Um, and we went up there with the team to do some investigations and training and some social time. And most of most of the activities, the social activities, uh, uh, took place in the kitchen. It was a very large uh, Victorian medieval type kitchen with a big sort of table in the middle. It's it's the archetypal, as you Americans think, a medieval sort of castle kitchen. Where the Lord of the Manor would live with the big table, the fireplace, and the big range with all of the uh, plateware, plateware, and silverware. And, um, and that was the center of that was the center of the, the sort of our daily activities. We got up, we went there, we had coffee, we we ate there, we 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 socialized there, and so it was a very very familiar space to everybody. But during the investigation phase, people, um, it wasn't part of the normal investigation. But on one one particular night, we sent two investigators to the kitchen, but we made them turn the lights off. That's all we did. Um, there was no difference. There'd never been any reason for us to be interested in the kitchen. There had been nothing at all um, to to you know draw our attention in that direction. So we sent these two down to the kitchen, um, and we we had them turn the lights off. And immediately they felt un- uncomfortable. But they were recording the familiar things. They were saying there was a shadow and there was shape, and because the familiar. In the, in the absence of light and when you are disorientated by taking away the normal things that we expect around us that we can see and we can hear, suddenly become unfamiliar, they become disorientating, they become challenging and they induce fear in some people. Um, and I'll always remember that you know, the way to break the fear was to turn the light back on. 
Another interesting fact that we a factor that we discovered was I, I mentioned the mine investigation that took place uh, in Yorkshire uh, in a coal mine that uh, did have reports of paranormal activity. Uh, in fact, it was the one that was used on a, on an episode of Most Haunted um, a little a little after we we'd been there, and we went with several parapsychologists, Dr. Kieran O'Keefe, Dr. Simon Sherwood, our team, and we wanted to conduct two two types of experiments. One, uh, because we were 450 meters uh, below ground level, was we were we were looking at measuring the electromagnetic fields because the, a lot of it gets blocked out by a thousand foot of rock and you know a thousand foot of Great Britain sitting on top of it, um, and also the absence of a lot of the normal external stimuli, including light. Now, obviously, within the mine there was there was electric lighting. Um, which we had disabled in order to kill the electromagnetic uh, systems. But what was really, really interesting, and what this this discovery didn't come out until we gone through, uh, until we went through the notes some days later, is that uh, for parts of the session, the safety lighting was left on. This was a battery-driven system that was provided rather like the exit lighting in in, uh, in cinemas and in, in movie houses and theatres. These small dim lights up that you know they have dotted about, which you follow to the exits. And the, so you would be at the end of say a hundred a hundred meter corridor uh, tunnel, and there would be a faint, almost a candle-like glow from the opposite end, and people could sit there quite comfortably. Um, at one point, we turned off the safety lighting, mm-hmm. and people there was there was I mean I mean there was no lighting at all, uh, absolutely no lighting. People actually were reporting um, they didn't even know whether their eyes were open and closed or closed. Right. There was no way unless they unless they physically felt their eye you know their their uh, eyelids they didn't know whether their eyes were open or cu- or closed. Really. Um, it was. It it really was complete and utter. We do have night vision to a point. Well, in, in, but we rely on amplifying available light, and there was none. I mean, absolutely none. Um, did you measure it? Was, uh, it was zero on everything. <laughs> uh, we did measure it, but but I have never been in this situation of complete and utter blackness before, and that's the only way. It was all enveloping blackness, which I I. You know, I felt quite calm and relaxed in, um, and I would have imagined that I was unusual. But what turned out in the notes was, in that situation of utter blackness, complete sensory, uh, visual sensory deprivation, people felt very, they were writing, I feel very relaxed, very calm, um, a very uh, relaxing experience, uh, I don't know whether my eyes are open. The ones who were in the corridor where there was a faintest, faintest, it was below a tenth of a, of a lux light from a, a safety light, uh, 100 meters away, were unnerved. They didn't like it. They felt unnerved because they could see shadows. And once they could see shadows and see shapes, their brain started to construct the rest. But in the absence of any light, any stimuli, we relaxed and it was the most unexpected um, result because we expected it would be the other way around. We thought we, we genuinely believed that when the lights were on, people would feel calm. And when the lights were off, people would immediately be more scared. But 
that tiny, tiny sliver of light was enough to scare people. And at the Scottish Castle in the kitchen, there was light from outside leaking in. Uh, um, there was also light from, you know, the the, safe, the the clocks on appliances. So there was a very, very dim glow. And that glow was, was sufficient. A very interesting result that was. Right. And uh, I know we're going to do the Teller's Curious Tales shortly, but there's, there's also a couple of things I do want to mention out because you kind of skipped over my subjects again, which you tended to. You kind of go off Sorry. some other worlds. But that's all right. No, no, that's cool. The information you gave me was extremely interesting. But uh, first of all, just because you shut off power doesn't mean you don't have electricity still running through the wires. And no, that's perfectly true. Yeah, so that's one thing that happens. No, I, to clarify, what we were interested in doing is blocking out radio frequency signals. Yeah, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not talking on your thing. I'm just talking in general, not, oh, not right. yeah. particularly your, your, your experience. I'm, I'm talking in general to paranormal investigators who go out there and say, just because we shut the lights off, we, you still have uh, electricity running through your wires and so forth. So and the other thing I wanted to mention about, and this is where I really came on about the hunter being able to find its query without fancy equipment or anything else by just using its senses by able to look down and 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 figure out man has that ability if we go back all the way to the the first reported ghost hunter in plenty is the younger i mean we we hear the the case of what's his name amadonis or whatever it is Senator. thank you Stephen. and uh and he he has you know a, a ghost is seen uh you know it frightens people he goes here, observes, mm-hmm. follows, uh, digs up the ground, finds chains, gives proper burial to the bones, mm-hmm. and the haunting stops. So if you take it at the word of Plenius, then he was able to solve this problem without using the equipment, but nothing is his own senses. And I, and I, I Go ahead. No, I, 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 I think, you know... Uh, well, you, but you, you actually know um, that I, I'm not a supporter of, of throwing every toy in the box into the ghost investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always argued that um, that we should be more conservative with our use of equipment. I mean, if you're going to measure something, then measure it appropriately and measure it, measure the right things. I, you know, just because somebody's heard footsteps doesn't mean that you should have a camera. Likewise, just because somebody's seen an apparition doesn't mean you should be doing EVP. Um, you know, you need to measure things in an, uh, in an appropriate way. If nobody's ever reported a change of temperature, then there's no need for a thermometer. If nobody's ever seen an apparition there's no need for a camera um in terms well, of it, uh, that, yeah. except except for proving that there was no normal interference right you know using an evp recorder on its own in the corridor without protecting it with cameras is a different matter but um i mean i was given um i've told i think i've mentioned this before i've certainly mentioned it uh, to others that i was once given a cd rom that contained about three three or four hundred photographs that were taken in a haunted castle in wales and a group asked me to have a look through them because some yeah some of these pictures you know, hadn't had you know may have been anomalous and they wanted to so i said well okay I'll, 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 <laughs> plenty i'll work my way through them but what's the phenomenon i'm not familiar with this building and they said well it's this is the corridor and people have heard footsteps <laughs> 
I said, uh, I, so I never even bothered. I, there was no point, was there? Um, okay. you know, the only phenomena ever reported in that corridor is several members of staff working there had heard footsteps. So this group go along. They spend the night investigating and take 300, 400 photographs, and not a single sound recorder was present. That's interesting. <coughs> so I, I don't want to miss it, but, equipment. you know, I want to make sure we get the, the teller of Curious Tales. Yeah. So I think we're going to bring it on, and uh, we probably much touched upon the subject, although I, that in the future maybe we'll hit on it again. But uh, uh, anyways, without further ado, why don't we bring on a one of the – turning out to be one of the favorite uh, uh, features of the show, which is the teller of Curious Tales. So, Karina, can we have that, please? Tonight, I, the teller of curious tales, open my book once again and bring you strange and unusual stories, true stories, stranger than any fiction ever written. Listen to the teller of curious tales. This is the story of a spy in the ranks of the Confederate Army. Not a great spy, not a man of super-intelligence who outwitted the enemy at every turn, but just a loyal, courageous southern boy of 21. He belonged to Coleman's scouts. Coleman was the super-spy, and this boy, Sam Davis, was just one of his least promising assistants. In October 1863, Coleman and Davis found themselves in Nashville, which had fallen to the Federal armies a few weeks before. They had a complete map of the fortifications in their possession, along with a list of the northern troops and their positions, which Confederate General Bragg could use to his advantage. Young Sam Davis was selected to carry them through a hundred miles of hostile country to Chattanooga. Wearing a faded federal uniform, Sam rode boldly and leisurely through the enemy country. When he was stopped, he told his questioners that he was a federal soldier looking for his regiment. With only one day between him and his goal, he met a troop of the 7th Kansas Cavalry. They didn't believe his story took him back to their headquarters at Pulaski and threw him into the county jail. He was locked up with about 20 other suspicious characters, among them a tall man with a short brown beard, his superior officer, Captain Coleman. Not a shadow of recognition passed between them. Neither acted as though he had ever seen the other before. A guard conducted Sam to headquarters, where he was questioned by General Dodge, the federal commander. Sam had been captured in a federal uniform, with dispatches addressed to General Bragg, hidden in his hose. If this wasn't the perfect description of a spy, I never heard one. Sam offered no defence. General Dodge liked Sam. He was a fine, upstanding young man with a pleasant smile. So he offered Sam his life, if he would tell 
where Captain Coleman could be found. Sam smiled and said nothing. So he was taken back to the other men, including the tall man with the short brown beard who was being detained on suspicion. For three days, General Dodge sent officers to question Sam. It proved useless, and a court-martial sentenced him to suffer death by hanging. Next morning, he left the jail cell, climbed aboard a wagon, sat in his own coffin, and was driven to the scaffold. Here, one last effort was made to get him to betray the whereabouts of Captain Coleman. He looked his questioner in the eye and said, How long have I got to live, sir? When the captain told him 15 minutes, he asked for a pencil and a piece of paper and wrote his mother the following. Dear mother, I have 15 minutes to live and will spend them writing to you. I don't want you to grieve after me. I don't only feel that I am doing my country's bidding, but that all heaven is sanctioning the act I am about to take. I have asked the chaplain to sing, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand, and cast a wistful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land, where my possessions lie. The federal captain said that the time was up and turned away. Sam Davis faced the provost marshal. I am ready, sir, he said. And so a brave boy went to his doom that another man might live. The tall man with the short brown beard was put aboard a train bound for an internment camp in Chicago, but he never reached that city. Somewhere en route he escaped, and soon after bobbed up again in the vicinity of Knoxville, this time known only as Dr. Shaw. The gong strikes. My time is up. On my next visit, I'll bring you other stories, curious tales, strange beliefs. The teller of curious tales has closed his book and about to go on his way. I'll be back again on Ghost Chronicles International with more strange stories. Sleep tight. Well, there you go. They're good, aren't they? Yeah, I don't get that one, though. Uh, well, they're not all paranormal. They are curious tales. And yeah. So, yeah. Um, so. so what was the curiosity in it? Well, actually, Dylan said that to me yesterday when he finished recording. He said, I can't find anything odd or strange about this. It's just, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but it was the sixth one in the series. So you know, we've got to remain true to the 1950s or 1960s radio series. So yeah. We have to yeah. play them all. Um, but I do have some news um, yeah. for for fans of Ghost Chronicle, uh, of um, the Teller of Curious Tales. Yes. Uh, in the fall, you, you, you and I spoke after last week's show, and you asked me to ask the Teller of Curious Tales if we could do a video special for the Next Generation TV show. Mm-hmm. And we're going to film it in the summer for you. 
There you go. So, uh, yeah, there'll be a one-off. It'll be out of sequence, um, a different one that won't be... So it won't break the sequence, mm-hmm. um, but it'll be a one-off video special uh, for Ghost Chronicles, The Next Generation. Well, there you go. That's v- video special of The Teller of Curious Tales. The Teller of Curious Tales could always come over here, too. And But that's another story. Yeah. For another time. Yeah. <laughs> So, anyways, there is the teller of curious tales, and that's our tale. Maybe curious, but definitely told. A tale of a very brave young Confederate trooper. Yeah, who became a doctor. No, no, he, they hung him. No, he escaped and became a doctor. Oh, the young one. The one that got uh, hung. The one that wouldn't give uh, away the secret of his boss. Uh, no, Were you not even listening? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> anyway, so so how so how is um, you know we were talking about equipment and methods and techniques. Well, wait a minute. I, I want to finish. No, 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 no. My turn. My turn. I want to know how 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 paranormal CSI is uh, is. It's not paranormal CSI now, is it? Or is it? What's it called now? What are we talking about? My paranormal CSI course. Yeah. How's that going? Yes. That's started now, hasn't it? And how yeah, it's going people, very good, actually. Yeah. How can how can people um, get involved? They can't because all, they're and are there any what all the places closed now? Yeah, what's the course started? It, it's it's oh yeah. tough luck. Yep, oh, tough, tough luck. break. You missed it. Yep. Yeah, you you missed it. You missed it. Yep, look again next time. So yeah, I'll actually be uh, uh, we haven't announced it yet, but well, I'm not well announce it now that I'll be teaching a course from RE and a uh, uh, a. Uh, what do you call it? Internet course with Maureen through some academy, and uh, we'll be uh, you'll be able to learn ghost hunting. So there you go. Ghost hunting via the internet. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> you know my thoughts on that. <laughs> hey. Well, I was asked. I do. Yeah. Never. Yeah. You know, to to mirror the words of Richard Felix, if there's money in it, I'm in. There you go. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Anyways, um, I, I'm gonna have, I, I've sent him a message. Um, so, yeah, we hopefully get him on soon. Um, yeah, yeah, but you realize Richard really understands how to open an email, right? Uh, no, but he would go to the opening of a, of a chip packet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but oh, um, one thing we've got to give a shout out is uh, Cal Cooper. Uh, well-known friend of the show. Yes, uh, yes. Rock star. I, I believe the we power... should start calling him Dr. Cal Cooper. Really? Yeah, Little Bird tells me it's now Dr. Cal Cooper. It's official now? Uh, all but. He's done the, he's done the Viva, and uh, I, think it's, I, think it, I think we can safely say he is Dr. Cal, Dr. Cal Cooper. Oh, great. Or, I got some, some Dr. Cal's at my side. I'll have to have him look at it next yeah. time I Dr. Talk. Cal. When we get him on the show, I'll have him. Uh, you know. Well, I think, yeah, well, I mean, if, if he can spare us a moment in his busy schedule. I doubt it. I doubt it. I think we can maybe get a clinic uh, clinic appointment with him. Yeah. Uh, get him on the show for uh, a little while in the, in the upcoming chasing, week. Ch- chasing all the uni girls on his motorcycle. Oh, yeah. On <laughs> hog. But, yeah, I mean, we've got the feelers out for, for to get Richard and Cal onto Good. the show in the coming weeks. Um some people may have noticed a lack of guests, which is a good thing. Did it happen? It just, 
Yeah, because they just get in the way, don't they? No, there's yeah. been no complaints, but you know, just just in case the one or two listeners. Well, but anyways, that was the bell which me and Pete. I don't care. I, yeah, so, I don't. I've been trying said. to get talk to you about this this uh, email I received and about oh, yeah. the teller of curious tales and 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 basically, uh, I forget it was last show or the show before we we talked about the Mary Celeste. Mm-hmm. In fact, you actually mentioned that it was something the facts were right. So people were trying to correct us. Mm-hmm. About the the facts and the Mary Celeste, so ah well, the story was incorrect because it was based on facts that were written forty or fifty years ago. So it wasn't incorrect; it was correct um, information yeah. available at did, the time. We, we we did after the after it was after the, the, the it was aired. We did actually explain that um, that had been spotted whilst the recording was being made that the facts were incorrect. But we went with the original version of the radio story. Because we are true to our... Because we have to remain true. Right. Oh, incidentally, I discovered this week that the ship that found the Marie Celeste, the De Gracia, uh, ended its days only five miles from where I'm currently living on the Pembrokeshire coast when it ran aground 30 years later in 1906. Did you find any pieces of it? No, but I know somebody that's got a piece of the De Gracia. Oh, I should. I only found. Tele- I only found. Tell us pieces of it, and uh, you know some psychology. Well, this, well, this guy's a recovery diver. He's got a portal from the De Gracia, uh, which of course yeah. was the ship, as I said, that um, was the one that found the Mary Celeste uh, thirty years earlier in the eighteen seventies. So, anyways, there's a tune, so we had to go. Yeah, I guess it was alternative facts. No, it was false news, Nathan. Good night. God bless. You're right. See you next week. From goalies to ghosties, Long-leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.